I'm Yari Salmanen. And I'm Henry Ace. And this is Rerouting, a podcast in which two friends talk about making things and many other things. We'll go back a little bit. A little bit to, to, the, so to, the, to the first, to our meetings. All right. So, so Peter and I, I, my first job was at Fundell Watches in Tiger Valley. And I walked in fresh faced and not uh, knowing anything about anything about this particular trade. Half the man you were. <laughs> yes. And I was thrust into the world of fine Swiss timekeeping. Autologerie. Autologerie. And um, part of that eventually turned into expensive sound. You, The problem, here's the problem. And <laughs> you make not minimum wage, but, you know, student money is... Um, you know, now you're in a space where you're surrounded by extremely luxurious items. Mm-hmm. And um, I can't remember what the story was, but we had the representative for Bang & Olufsen come through one day and he showed us the new Bang & Olufsen P5 headphones, gorgeous things, mm. sheepskin leather and aluminium headphones that were just Ooh, the, la, the la. most Came lovely, beautiful pouch. lovely things. Beautiful pouch. Branded up the kazoo. And I was smitten by these headphones. I had to have them. And I What year was this? This was 2009. <laughs> so the iPhone iPhone 3G came out. Yeah, it was it was yeah, one of the one of the first years of the the iPhone 3G 3GS at that time. And I decided I'm going to buy these headphones. And I bought them and they were gorgeous. But I took them short, you know, years years after I went traveling through, you know, Southeast Asia, and I took them with me and what eventually happened was they had removable ear, like leather ear pads. They're on ear headphones. Over top. Over top. On on ear. On and ear. They, and, the, and the ear pads started getting mucky. Mm. So eventually I get new ear pads. And then what happened was the cable is also replaceable. And the cable uses a two and a half millimeter jack that nothing uses. Nobody uses. And I bought one set of replacement cables from the B&O store in Bangkok and they were extraordinarily expensive. And then eventually I just stopped caring about maintaining my headphones. <laughs> yeah. This is the thing. So we are here with Peter Bester, watchmaker extraordinaire. And we... <laughs> We're well, sitting we'll in this lounge, <laughs> and um, I was introduced to this world of high-end uh, watchmaking and timekeeping and lovely timepieces, and it engendered a love of these things with me, and you know, sort of very fine engineering, and that's sort of where our path started, you and me. So, how did all of this begin for you? What the watchmaking journey for Peter Bester? Well, yeah, it goes back a few years. My my dad was in the fishing industries, a deep sea fisherman, and he would be away for not months, but weeks, three, four weeks at a time, fishing somewhere, um, roaring 40s and all around the coast of South Africa. And um, all the wives in Wolfish Bay would come uh, down to the docks when the, when the ship docked after its long trip. And the first thing I would do was greet my dad and I would take his watch off his wrist and I would play with it. Huh. And fishermen back then had to have proper waterproof watches 
for for the seventies, uh, waterproof uh, was a new, a relatively new thing. So they most had uh, Rolexes and Omegas and uh, Seikos. Seiko was very popular in South Africa, mechanical watches back then. Hmm. Before the quartz, uh, well, the quartz revolution has already started, but uh, mostly all of them had diamonds watches. And this is how I got to play with his watch. And there was a journal, uh, the fishing journal. And unlike today's magazines, when you open them up, every second page has a a luxury brand. I hate the word luxury when it comes to watches. It's it's practical things. But today, every second page has got a luxury watch ad going for it, or it's it's whatever it is, something valuable or expensive. And back in those days, in the fishing journal. On the back page, they dedicated it to watches, and you would only see Rolex Omega and and Seiko, Submariners and Seamasters and and and, and Seiko divers watches, and these were aimed at fishermen. I mean, it was hmm. direct marketing. Sure. And um, that's where it started for me. And um, at some point, I managed to open up my wa- my dad's watch without him knowing, and I started fiddling inside with that and. I didn't break it. I was too careful. Uh, but he called me one day, uh, fiddling with his watch, and he smacked me. Really? Because the, the, this watch of his was his. It it's was a pride a, and joy. Like no, it's not, like, yeah, but it was also a matter of survival. It was tool. a survival tool. Sure. You had yeah, to yeah, know yeah. time. You had to. Uh, it had to survive on the water and all that. So I was fiddling with his watch, and he wasn't happy about that. And uh, we left it there, and um, <clears throat> Went through school. We moved quite a bit. I was in 13 schools in total, moving after uh, the new fishing grounds and that. So uh, I was never really pinned down in, in one uh, location for longer than maybe a year or two at a time. That was all up and down the coast? like Yeah, up and down the coast. Always along the coast of South Africa and Namibia. But I spent a lot of time by myself and entertaining myself. And that's when I got to study, or not study, but read up on watches and so uh, and these things, but I left it then. As we, uh, as as years passed, I uh, after school studied architecture. Okay. And um, it was a great. We had a ball. Uh, we were eventually me and two friends studied architecture. Were asked not to come back. <laughs> so I. Uh, so it's a it's an intense academic pursuit. Yes, yes, uh, uh, yeah, yeah. <laughs> Until we were asked not to come back, and then um, you know all the red flags. Uh, decided what, what now so i um did a few odd jobs and then i went to the army and when i went to the army in, uh, during army that one year i decided well fuck this sorry no no uh, this is what i want to do i'm going to become a watchmaker and the funniest thing this girl i was dating my first uh, serious girlfriend in school her dad got wind that i wanted to become a watchmaker and he said no daughter of his will marry a guy who works with his hands. She's got to go out and, and, and really? marry somebody that uh, you know works in figures. And, and yeah, sure. Like somebody, somebody who's got like a real job, quote a proper job. Yeah, 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 yeah. not yeah. working with his hands. And eventually, we broke up. And that's when, in the army, she broke up with me. And I decided, well, that's it. I'm. I've, this is what I want to do. I want to become a watchmaker. She's mm-hmm. no longer a liability or any. Uh, she's no longer in the picture. And I went on to write this mentor of mine. And I told him, this is what I've wanted to do since the age of five and he said well the day you get off the bus after your stint in the army you come and see me Hmm. and uh, we had a couple of meetings and a few months later i started working for him and uh, started studying through through uh, the bhi in the uk 
Oh, really? And he was my mentor, a mentor through this whole process. And the fortunate thing is I could start not only studying it, but I could get practical experience because he was a, a master a watchmaker. So I would spend a lot of time with him in, in his workshop after hours. So I would work from nine till six every day, seven days a week, and then go to his workshop afterwards and work there till one, two in the morning. So this is now Wilco Fundale. This is Wilco Fundale, yes. Senior. 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 Yeah. So Wilco Fundale, so, the, the patriarch of the Fundale. Of the Fundale family. Family. Who, so yeah, he took me in and he was my mentor and he got me, uh, he guided me through this whole process a couple of years of studying uh, through the BHI. It was all done before fax machines. Mm. Quite difficult. You had to make, everything you had to, to do was posted. You had to post letters. Uh, you had to post your assignments. You had to post work pieces. What does what does that process consist of? Like, how do you post like watch work? <laughs> yeah, they would send you a plan of of a part. Uh, it was quite interesting. I think back then they would have, call it ten or twenty or thirty people studying the scores, mm. uh, and they would give every person a part to make by hand. In, in, like in an assignment. individual part of the watch. And in mm. a, yeah, it was for a clock back then. I see. And I think the whole whole idea was for everybody to participating in the scores and studying watchmaking to make a part and then they would a different part and then they would judge uh, the quality of the work if they could assemble the clock from all the parts made mm-hmm. but like i said this was done before fax machines everything had to be posted uh, you had to wait uh, you had to make sure the parcel didn't get lost but luckily we had south african post office back then which were uh, i think they were very relatively reliable compared to uh, today mm. Um, yeah, that's how I studied watchmaking um, from South Africa. And when I qualified in 95, I was the only person in the world to qualify at the BHI, not a UK resident. Mm. The only person in the world outside of the UK. Now That's how obscure this, this um, profession is. It's a, it, it, it is obscure. And this is something I want to I want to discuss with you. This is something I learned fast forward 20 odd years and I come and start to work for Fundale as well. And I come to understand that watches are not things driven by batteries. They are tiny mechanical engines that have springs and cogs and ratchets and are incredibly precise, tiny little mechanical things that make them in today's age an anachronism they are obsolete these are things that you know for up until you mentioned the quartz revolution earlier up until the 1980s this was how time was kept with very very precise mechanical yeah well the, the quartz revolution started in, in in the early 60s or earlier but um, it, it took effect uh, in 1969 when Seiko launched the first uh, the world's first quartz watch, uh, the, mm. the Astron. Mm. And back then it was a gold piece and it cost the price of a small car. It was mm. extremely expensive. Mm. It was new technology. Mm. And that um, caught the Swiss um, off guard because they were so enshrined in, in mechanical watchmaking. And here comes a Japanese company and, and they launched this new product. It's extremely accurate. It was very expensive uh, initially. And then afterwards it became um, affordable. And that's mm. what almost sunk the, the Swiss watch industry, the whole behemoth. Mm. Yeah, sure. It's hard to pivot when you're that large too, right? Yeah. The whole country. So, were, you know, you know, the, they were based around mechanical watchmaking. Mm. And so now the idea of a mechanical watch is an almost alien 
thing, it had to become a luxury object. So why does a mechanical watch have this allure? Why why are people still drawn to this uh, field of of art, artistry and mechanism? Yeah, well, and like, cause that's yeah, it's well many things. I think you can't just pin it down to one thing. It's artistry. It's um, incredibly um, intricate. It's really it's defying laws of nature or, or, or physics for something that small, uh, consisting of so many parts to actually keep time. Sure. Mm. And uh, it was largely made by hand, and it, it's past rooted in, in where it started from sundials, from ways to try and determine time or the passage of time, to mm. clocks, to pocket watches, to, to the first wrist watches, and that's where it, where it features today. It's, it, it's not a necessity. I mean, we've got cell phones, uh, you've got vacuum cleaners telling the time, and fridges and everything <laughs> that can give you an idea of time, but, but still a mechanical watch is something yeah. you can... You can you can wear in your wrist. It's it's something you can pass on because it's meant to last very long. Sure. Mm-hmm. Uh, a battery watch might have a shorter lifespan, and it, there's no soul to it. But a mechanical watch is mm-hmm. is something beautiful if you understand it, if you can see it. Just the way all parts, it's like a helicopter. All parts have to work together in order for this to function. Mm-hmm. Things can go wrong, but reliability has been sorted for the last not decades. Call it a hundred years. Mm-hmm. And pocket watches and, and mm-hmm. such. I remember there were there were a couple of there were a couple of examples of sort of moments where that idea of this object that was made decades ago can still be a functional piece stuck out to me. I remember we had a person come in with a with a Breitling pocket watch from 1908 mm. and they brought it in and you know, at that stage, it wasn't serviced in-house. It was sent up to to Breitling in Switzerland, but they were still able to repair that. And and I don't think there's any other equivalent kind of mechanical uh, no, personal device that that that's still the case. Uh, to to single out one brand uh, of my favorite brands, Rolex, they had basically a plan to supply parts for 33 years, plus minus 33 years after this caliber was discontinued, after they stopped making the specific movement. Hmm. So if if the movement was in production for 20, 30 years, uh, they would supply parts still for 33 years after that point. So hmm. you can imagine a watch um, that's 60 years old, you can still get parts for it. I mean, that's quite a guarantee, right? Like The quality, it's it's built into it. Mm-hmm. Uh, not all brands can, can claim that. Omega is another brand that's pretty um, good at sorting out vintage pieces. They, they supply parts. In the world, I think Rolex is top when it comes to part supply and making sure that you can fix and repair these old watches. And um, But just to come back on, on, on what you meant by or asked about the value of it. Everybody, when they're young, they see something they, they covet and they can't afford mm. or they uh, simply can't get it. They're not mature enough to, to look after it or uh, enjoy it. And as you grow older, you get the means and then you look back towards your your childhood icons mm. and that's where you start to think back like i did when it came to those books uh in in or, or the ads for for rolex omega and, and seiko in, in the fishing journal mm. i couldn't afford a rolex back then i couldn't even afford a seiko mm. i did get my dad's seiko uh, when i went to the army mm. and that was just the start of a journey for me and today i'm uh, a rolex fan mm. and an omega fan mm. Fans of other brands maybe too, but nothing comes close to those three mm. brands for me. 
And it started back then when I was little, when I couldn't afford these things, when I lusted after them and I wanted something like it. Couldn't afford it. Oh, you had to so wait. You had to earn your, yeah, and, you know, your way before you could indulge in... Con- consistency of that design, you know, like the, the, the key Rolex designs were established in the 1950s and 1960s. Most. And, and, and they still more or less right look and function the Similarly, same as yeah. they did. I mean, I find it fascinating that these things started off as like utilitarian sort of implements, right? Like they're, you know. They were tool watches. Yeah, exactly. Like you use them because like those were the watches that worked for the job at hand. If you were a speleologist, you had, a, you had to have an explorer. If you were a diver, you had to have a the hell is a speleologist? A speleologist. A cave this? dweller. A spelunker. A, a spelunker. spelunker. Speleologist. Uh, just Someone who he goes would, in caves. He who caves. He who caves. One who deep caves. dives. He deep, deep dives. Deep dives dry into land. holes. Oh, is it yes. date night? Dry, dry date holes. Date night? Dry, old, old dry holes. <laughs> yes. Yeah, you need, it, uh, you need it to know what time. Spe- uh, okay. How's okay. your mother doing? <laughs> That's very, very inappropriate. This is a family-friendly podcast. Is it? No, it's, it's not. a lot of bats in caves. <laughs> <laughs> okay, speleologists, divers. Divers would have a submariner. If you were a racing driver, you would have a Daytona. And pilots would have a GMT Master, so Rolex focused, for instance, on, on different professions to supply them the tools they needed. Mm. And of course, other brands did the same thing, but nobody did it as well as they did. When it came to marketing and, and they being Rolex, right? They like, being mm, Rolex. Mm. They uh, Hans Wolstorf made uh, very sure that that uh, marketing was going to be um, part of his success. Mm. So he had to make sure he was for, uh, in the forefront of, of, of all new development. Mm. Um, there we go. With, with so, Everest. but like, when when did that transform from like these sort of like you know. I'm not going to say they're day-to-day implements, but like something that like uh, someone who's a fisherman could afford to something that's now probably out of the reach of the average fisherman or well, Hans, any fisherman. Sure. Any well, fisherman. Was, yeah, was, yeah, 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 yeah. Your local like, fisherman down at the key. No, um, the way it worked was we, we concentrating probably now on, on, on Rolex because it's a, it's a very good example. He aimed to make it possible for any person to afford one of his watches if he was able to save up for three months. Sure. Almost like a a, wedding ring, right? You could be a street sweeper, you could be Mm. an architect, you could be whatever you wanted, but he wanted people to afford his watches. Mm -hmm. And that's where it started. And today it's exactly the same thing. Yes, inflation has a a plays a role. And coming back to what I said, I don't like the word luxury when it comes to watches, especially when it comes to Rolex, because Rolex is still a tool watch. It's blingy today. Yes, new materials are shiny, whatnot. Beside the point, it's still a tool watch. Mm, it uh, is, but you can still that, go swimming. That quartz with it. revolution, Peter. It was that quartz revolution because now, within within two decades, you were able to buy something that kept the time, and you could swim with it, and it could take a beating no, for sure. a tiny fraction of the price. And so now, it had to be in order for the Swiss watch industry to survive. They had to become luxury items i would still um counter that argument uh, for certain for other for certain brands maybe rolex has kept on saying that they would be the best uh, that money could buy when it comes to quality when it came to engineering when it came to after-sales service and being evolutionary rather than revolutionary in design they basically still look uh, produce the same product they did in the 50s so the product is still the same. The same people still want it. Yesterday, there's obviously a, f- a fan market for these things, mm. especially the vintage pieces. 
and uh, and it's a whole business upon it uh, onto itself. But it's it's still the same product. It's not luxury for me. Mm. If you take a Patek Mini Tupita or uh, you know, that's a good example. It, it's luxury. It's it, mm. it, it has features that you don't really need today. Yeah, mm. sure. Timekeeping is still a feature we we all need today. You 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 don't have to pull your cell phone out of your pocket to see what no, time sure. it is. I mean, I wear a Casio and it's like my workhorse. It's great. I Perfect. Love it. Any watch that keeps time is a good watch. It's great. So I Casio, I'm a fan. My first watch was a Casio, so uh, there's no problem with it. But we still need it. If you can say that that watches became obscure items. In a sense, yes, and the new generation came to be more reliant on tech and computers and cell phones and that. So they stopped wearing, um, they didn't wear watches from from the get-go because they were raised in in the computer age. And when Apple came out with the… The smartwatch. The smartwatch and that, people thought in the Swiss industry, uh, the watch industry, it's going to tank the industry Mm. like the quartz revolution did. But it didn't because all it did was it made a new generation used to Wearing something on the wrist with a wearable tech, or they and just, or they just took the next level and made it even more expensive and made them even more scarce. <laughs> one of the one of the brilliant things that Rolex does as well is does very fine controls over how many watches are released into the wild, especially now post pandemic. Okay, let's let's talk. You know, the 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 Rolex is this for me is the Submariner. You know, it's the it is the it's where anywhere it Rolex. is the quintessential men's Rolex, and when we started, when I started at Fondale, that was a fifty to sixty thousand rand proposition, which is an ex- a lot of money at that time. It was, time, a, it was lot a lot of money for a watch, but it was something that was, you know, get it. You know, eventually you could you could get to it. Now we're going on three times the price. And not even that, the availability is Yeah, but that's, that's an gone. interesting point. Um, there are countless amount of, of watch brands out there, some established in Switzerland. Many more are these fly-by-night brands that are um, designed, probably the guy sitting on the toilet after binge, and then he, <laughs> he comes out with the idea he wants to become a watchmaker and he's going to put his own watch brand on the market. And he goes on the internet and he uh, logs into ChinaWatch.com and he designs his own watch and pays a deposit and eventually gets this watch and, and it's a we call it uh, called it a, a garage brand but now it's 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 a what's what's the word they use for it now everybody put, uh, every any any anybody can put a watch brand on the market today it's so sure. easy I mean, China is available are, they will produce it for you but the funny yeah. thing is you can uh, buy a watch kit and build your own you can right? build your own watch but but these watches came on the market uh because it was made so easy by by China uh to supply these watches uh, custom made custom designed and um and then covid came along and there were supply chain issues and uh, and these brands couldn't make it to market they couldn't uh, get Maybe it. I small mean, independent kind of guys? Independent or? guys, yeah, yeah independent yeah. guys. The Swiss guys were going ahead. Um, I mean, for example, Rolex is made by Rolex in Switzerland mm-hmm. and one of the uh, parts come from one of the four factories in, in, in and around Geneva and, and in Switzerland. But most brands today do have production facilities in the East. Mm. And I mean, in in the in, in the Middle East, not in China and all that. And, my, and China is very good at reverse engineering, so they would take anything, they would reverse engineer it, and they built a business on it. And and China, uh, the Chinese watch industry is massive today uh, for these micro brands 
that you can go on the internet, log onto their website, and design anything you want. And mm. before COVID, for instance, uh, a minimum quantity order was 2,000 pieces mm. because business was good. Sure, of course. And yeah. during COVID, it, it, they, they all took a knock and, and minimum quantity order came down to 20 plus pieces. So mm. it made it so much easier for people to, to after every night uh, out drinking, uh, wake up the next morning and decide to become a watchmaker because it took little investment. <laughs> they could make 20 pieces. They could call it limited edition and they put it on the market sure. and try and sell it. But I think with limited success. So there are so many micro brands it's available. Cool. They're still watches. They're still good. They still keep time. But they, 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 there's no history to it. But, you know, there's, I think there's an interesting other development Something that I've now recently started dancing around is this idea of customizing Seikos. So, you know, when you when you talk to the watch cognoscenti, people who are really into their watches, it typically, you know, falls into two extremes of the market, your Rolex and maybe your Omega and maybe your more exotic brands. And on the other end, there's Seiko, which really does still sell watches for normal everyday people and and this subculture of modification where the modern industry for Seiko is massive yes it's huge huge. and you can and you can take a basic Seiko mechanical watch and you can rebuild it into almost anything you want and is that because the Seiko is just easy to modify or it's simplistic or it's it's simplistic but it's uh, in, in a sense simplistic but it's it's affordable and the, the parts that you need to modify it uh, also affordable. And, and a basic Seiko would not have something like a ceramic bezel so or sapphire glass. So you can buy these things and mod it. So it's a little so bit you don't it's, change it's the forgivable if you were… Yeah, yeah, yeah. No, it's, it's, there's, there's definitely a, a subculture to Seiko, uh, especially Seiko. And, and they modify these watches because the companies out there supply anything. Handsets, new cases. You can make, You can buy a Seiko for cheap. And you can turn it to look into uh, look like a submariner, hmm. or a uh, you can change the case, or, or anything, CMO, anything. Or anything uh, the Seiko modding industry is and fundamentally, massive. it's a it's a still a, it's a quality product. You're not starting off, you know, it's mass manufacture, mm-hmm. but it's they've, they've you know Seiko have been f- figured out how to make a, a robust, simple mechanical timepiece almost it, better it, than anyone else. It may not be as finely crafted or as accurate. Well, it's not as finely crafted as, and it's definitely not as accurate, but it's it's a very good starting point. And that's why, why these um, modding companies are so prevalent today because they, 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 they've got a huge market. Is, more people is, can afford it, more people can afford to, to modify these things. Is modding done by companies or individuals? No, you buy it as an individual and you, and you can modify one or you can buy more spares and modify 10 and put it on the market. Yeah, there's people, people as do. individuals, there's guys, you know, you can take your watch and you can send it to someone and they can turn it, they can vintageify it, they can make it look like something <laughs> that went through the went through hell, you know, because that's a big part of the sort of Rolex market as well. Is like the really, really sought after submariners are pieces. ones that went through Vietnam and went. You know, you can or they make were just it, worn or they daily were just for, worn 50 daily years, for fifty years, and, and patin- they acquire patinated. a patina that's that's beautiful. Mm. So, and, and for me, the other thing is, uh, sorry, I wanted to come back to mm. to, to Amy's point. Why um, he was alluding to the fact that that Rolex. Uh, limit supply, but they don't really. Uh, they produce anywhere up to a million watches a year in, the, in, in, in from Dayjust to Daydates to Explorers, Subs, GMT Masters, Daytonas, Milgaus, split among 
amongst all of them, plus minus a million pieces a year. So there's a lot of Rolexes around. Sure. Does that not but devalue the, the brand? Like, no, how many there are? Like, no, no. Well, there are companies that produce less, but they charge more for their watches, like Patek, and there are companies that produce 50 times that. Sure. Like Seiko, for example. Mm. But, but you thing, cannot walk into an AD almost anywhere no, today and buy a new Submariner. Even no, no, no. But the, the reason for that is very simple. There are so many watch brands on the market. Everybody uh, before, call it COVID, before people had people had so much more disposable income due to the fact they can't travel uh, and they had to spend it on something. Before that, people would buy Omegas. They would buy Brightings. They would buy Panerai and, and Hublot and... And whatever you name, you, mm. you name it, they, they would buy it. They would be a they would be a market for for all brands. Sure, you know, percentage wise, Rolex was always the biggest. And for example, before COVID, uh, say there were ten Rolexes, or, or for every single Rolex, there were ten buyers. Mm. During COVID, uh, people stopped buying other brands due to the fact that Rolex is the only brand that that actually keeps value, holds value, sure, or increases. It has a name, yeah, it has a name, and it's it's got the quality, it's got everything going mm. for it. And um, before COVID, there were 10 buyers for every Rolex, and now there's 100 buyers for every Rolex because now these mm. guys aren't buying Breitling. They're buying Rolex. They, they don't buy Panerai anymore. They want to buy a Rolex because a Rolex is something you can, you can enjoy it. You can sell it for more than you paid for it, which it's an it's a, it's a argument. Uh, we can talk about it. Mm. We can discuss it later. But demand for Rolex has increased tenfold. So mm. that simply means that demand for other brands went down, down mm. the tubes. And that's what happened during COVID. Mm. So you can't blame Rolex for, for not messing with a um, golden goose. Uh, they produce no, a million watches. No, There's enough of them around. They're doing just fine. They're, they're doing, doing fantastically well. Uh, but there were 10 million customers for 4 million Rolexes. Now there's 100 million customers. So obviously... Mm. Yeah. Uh, supply is 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 uh, uh, less in demand, mm. and it's it's 2022. We going through COVID. We're almost at the end of it. Looks like, and it's still going strong. Mm. But there's another thing that impacts these prices and and demand for it, and that's a grain market trying to punt these things at two times two or three x retail. Mm. There's a lot of measures being taken in the background to stop uh, these watches from ending up with flippers, people flip them onto like resellers, dealers, and, resellers yeah. and to stop them getting to gray markets um, where these watches are sold for, for absurd prices because the whole idea is for you to walk into any Rolex AD and buy that Submariner you've always wanted. Mm. But now there are 10, 20 guys that put their names on list and all they want is to get the item and they want to flog it, they make a profit, and off they go and put their name on, mm. on another jeweler's list. And that's a bit unfair because the guys who actually want the watches can't get them. Mm. Sure. they now on the grain market. If you go into Corona 24 and you see all the subs and GMT Masters, Pepsis, and Daytonas for sale, most of them are on, on Corona 24 for 23X retail, which, sure. is, which is stupid. I don't mm. know anybody who's going to pay two to three times retail for what you can buy from an 80. Mm. So eventually, well, this is a big problem, but it was a bigger problem and and Rolex is addressing it mm. and they're making it, they're simply making it more difficult for these watches to end up with like resellers. Basically people who just want to flip and make money. If if you're a known flipper or reseller or great dealer- They're like, forget they, it. They don't have to sell it to you. 
They don't have to sell it to you. Maybe let's bring it back down to more watchmaking and maybe yeah. your like your um, you, specific. So you uh, yeah. you trained you um, trained as a yeah. Sorry. No no no. I was going to say. I mean, he's already kind of like gone into it. I do want to touch on that. I wanted to get into modern trends on uh, problems with watchmaking in the watchmaking industry, or maybe like your thoughts on the current trends in industry and like what your uh, what's your opinion on where it's moving to. Like as a current, like, you know, it's it, like you said, it, it's, it's an anachronism, but mm. like, where is it moving towards? Like we're still building these watches that are, you know, essentially obsolete. Mm. Yeah. It, it, I can't say it's obsolete. Um, sure. Business is, the business is thriving <laughs> for, for a reason mm. and it'll probably continue to do so um, due to the fact that these things are very personal. It's it's a personal statement. People have gone to collecting these watches, so uh, they don't just buy one. In the past, you would be quite a well-off person if you had maybe two watches, one for Sunday going to church or… Like or a fancy watch on a daily… A fancy day. watch on a daily beat. Yeah. And, and today it's just the opposite. Now you get people collecting 10, 20, 30, 40, 50 people with a hundred pieces in the collection. So, yeah. so, and there's demand for it. Uh, and there are collectors for it. Like people collect, there are so many things to collect, but in the, in the watch industry, people do collect the watches, mm. certain watches again, uh, because there are a few criteria when it comes to collecting watches. You, it, it must firstly be beautiful. It must uh, tick all the boxes for you. And people aren't going to collect something that's maybe not, right word but inherently doesn't hold value or have any value sure perceived value right like perceived value and and real value and that's mm -hmm. why uh watch collecting definitely has as 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 uh exploded in the last i would say since the age of the internet because we were so uh, cut off from, from from trends and now with the internet we are so connected mm. now we we just took a little tour of your of your workshop which is a wonderful little corner of precision and a lot of uh, i bet there's oh. a couple of spare parts lying in crevices that i must still go and find um, yeah well because the, they do tend to have <laughs> the mind of the corners and yeah, the, yeah, yeah yeah but also a lot of beautiful tools and things from decades past you know things that are still the functional. old tools yeah old tools, uh, tools are still the best the old tools are the best. So, and 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 these things took you years to accumulate. So, if if you were a young person now, who had an interest in this, you know, where does one start? I mean, we, we're looking at your, you know, uh, uh, sonic um, ultrasonic machine, and it's a Seiko from the nineteen sixties. Well, the watch cleaning machine. Do you want to explain what an ultrasonic an machine? Ultrasonic no, no, it's, it's, a, it's, it's a it's a um, it's a fully automatic watch cleaning uh, system. Hmm. And this one is made by Seiko, and uh, you basically can just disassemble the watch, put it in a basket, and the machine takes care of it, put it through the washing cycle, the ultrasonic cycle, the rinse cycle, and then the final dry cycle. Takes hmm. off all the human mud? Yeah, yeah. The yeah, chocolate, the arm chocolate. Let's talk arm chocolate for cheese. a moment. The cheese. <laughs> the cheese. Because yeah, this cheese. was something we sometimes had to deal with. Um, I just, I know we keep harping on about Rolex, but something I A certain I gender would, would, <laughs> would specialize in accumulating cheese on watches. And, and I had this thing in, in, uh, in the shop. I would... I would take one of these, um, we'll be honest, it's a lady's watch. 
probably wore Chanel number five. Nothing wrong with the ladies' watch, man. No, no, nothing wrong with it. But it had this very pungent uh, Chanel number five uh, Mm. musk to it. That was always something weird. Like when you you got a watch and like you wouldn't imagine that a metal would hold perfume. Yeah, but but, it does. But it's all the cheese that accumulates. Uh, in in on the outside, and that that soaks up Chanel number no. five like nothing else. Mm. And and I would uh, I would scrape this off very carefully, and I I would cut a line on a piece of paper, and I would dare the staff to to snort it. Oh, <laughs> back then, oh, back I then I would this, yeah, yeah yeah I would I would offer you ten rand. Uh, for yeah, back in the back, back in the, the day, back, in, back could, in the early nineties, what, what is that? Like two dollars or yeah. yeah, no, no, yeah, yeah. Ten rand could still buy you a KFC Streetwise too, <laughs> I think. So it was quite an incentive. Yeah, this was something. But but I remember, I remember there was a guy who walked in, and I don't want to keep hopping back to Rolex, but this was a moment where I realized this. This is a really like incredible piece of engineering. We had a man come into the shop, and he brought in a Submariner that looked incredibly worse for wear. And he told us he bought this watch in the early 90s and he dropped it into a dam and lost it. And it sat at the bottom yeah, of this skiing. dam. He went skiing and he lost he, it. It, this, he, it, it sat it at the bottom of this dam for, at that stage, it must have been 15 years. And the dam had dried up and he found it and he brought it to us <laughs> and... And it wasn't still ticking. It wasn't, but sent it up for a service and it came back and it looked like absolutely brand new, still perfectly functioning. I I thought that was incredibly impressive. Uh, And that's something that you cannot, uh, you cannot imagine anything else uh, that you can keep alive for that long. Yeah, how could you replicate that? that? Yeah, you can't, you, well, in, in vintage cars, it's difficult because it's stuff that we drive and people open up their doors and bang against your car. So they do pick up things and it, <laughs> and it all tells a story. And that's the thing about watches. they personal. Hmm. Uh, they they tell stories because they contain so many memories. They, they're with you when you go through your, call it, when your first child is born or when you get married or when you do this or that. It, your watch is always with you and it tells stories. Mm. And eventually, mm. if you pass it on to a son or to a family member or a friend, then it becomes this coveted piece. And it, mm. the stories it tells uh, is of that person who wore it. Mm. And it's invaluable. It's, it's probably reason number one why we collect these watches. Mm. They, they're old. They survived 50 years of hard labor or just daily life beating. And, and they still work. Mm. And you can still fix them. And you mm. can't say that of many other things today. Everything no. is so, we live in a- It's in, disposable, in a, right? In a disposable uh, era. Everything is disposable. It's got built-in redundancies. Mm-hmm. When it comes to these type of watches, they built to last. They weren't built to last initially. That wasn't the plan. They were just built as good as, uh, as possible. The best materials, the best design, sure. best engineering, they were made to perform flawlessly. And then 50 years later, they still do. I want to talk about failure. I remember one of the early sort of gauntlets I had to run at the watch shop was battery replacements on Rados oh, with yeah. ceramic God. cases. Yeah, yeah. How many did you break? No, none. 
None. None, because I Why? was made to understand, because I was, because I was taught very carefully. Because I was a strict master. Strict master. So, uh, so <laughs> Rado, I wasn't easy Rado to work watches, with. No, but, but, a but demanding a, but a, task demanding taskmaster. Rado watches typically have ceramic cases that are uh, fantastically scratch proof, scratch, you know, resistant. Great, scratch resistant, but ceramic is a brittle material. And if you have to withstand open a cup, the, it can withstand uh, uh, punches, but mm-hmm. yeah, just knock it but, but in the wrong you, place, wrong yeah, time, and you, it shatters. If you if you have to screw in a case back on a ceramic case and you overtalk the screw, you can crack the case. Yes, and exactly. this was this was always a you know you know sweating bullets when someone brings in a watch to have a you know in this case a quartz watch that have a bat to have a battery replaced to not over torque the screws because mm. otherwise you can you can crack the thing in half you got you've got some explaining to do afterwards you know and that and that i remember <laughs> and the person i remember is always just peering over your shoulder oh yeah, i remember very clearly like that was one of the first examples where in 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 putting something together in making something having a very very tactile Sen- needing a, t- a sensitivity to how uh, literally how tight you were tightening, how tight how tight you're tightening, but and with hand pressure basically, with hand pressure and very and but but delicate 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 work, and that's something that that's always stuck with me is this delicacy of 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 work. Yeah, in in in, in watchmaking, uh, as I said earlier, you've got to be more steady than a heart surgeon, and you you've got to fix your problems. You can't. Bury them. So, so let's talk. What? In, what if? What's the? What's your oh, greatest mistakes. fuck up? Yeah. What, yeah. What's your? What's the greatest failure as a watchmaker? I mean, it's no, probably no, is no, it no, like it's, a spring? I remember that's always always a th- also like a spring, a tiny little there, spring there firing, firing if you, off if you into. Take, yeah, but if you take that, a uh, average mechanical watch has fifty plus parts. Uh, well, more than fifty, but say less than a hundred on average, uh, and they very small. They they measured in in some uh, in microns, and you've got to grip them with a tweezer. And if for some reason it decides to let go, it it just diver- it just grows wings and that's it. You never find it again. <laughs> but you've got to find it because it's one of the fifty or up to hundred parts. You've got to find it because it serves a purpose. So starting off in watchmaking, you do make a lot of mistakes. Uh, you end up countless hours on your knees looking for a spare part, and that's why every watchmaker has a super magnet. You spend your time there. You vacuum the workshop. You find it. Do you have a special, incredible Swiss vacuum cleaner that's very yeah, tiny yeah, yeah, that yeah, you vacuumed? Yeah, 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 yeah <laughs> absolutely. Your, your vacuum cleaner is, is cleaned before and then afterwards you sift through whatever hair and dust. The, the lint and, and all, all the cup that you can find is in there except your part. Mm. And I remember not, not long ago I was working on an um, Amiga Speedmaster and, and somebody before me worked on it and um, – uh, left out a part it was missing and it was a little cam lever to allow the stopwatch to reset the hand back to zero and <clears throat> i could buy a part of of the internet it'll probably take two months to get here it'll cost a fortune uh, sure sent to the post office you might never see it so i decided bugger that i'm going to make my own spare part and i had 316 l, uh, l steel and i made the small part was measuring maybe two millimeters by three millimeters and it was shaped at an angle and it had cutouts to fit in exactly in the space and it's and it's very fine work and i finished the, the, the part perfectly it works 100 and i decided to just give it a beautiful polish on the polishing machine and i um and i lost uh, uh the, the 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 polishing buff grabbed it out of the tweezer and this part just flew off 
and it disappeared. I, you can just hear it go ting 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 ting. It says hours of, hours of machining. It took me two hours to make that part. Uh, it took me a split second to lose it, and then instead of making another part because I believe in in, in luck, I'm going to find it within the first minute. I spent four hours uh, looking for this part. It included lifting the wood, uh, the workshop, uh, uh, the, the polish room uh, uh, wooden floor, because I noticed what? There, I noticed there was a small crack, three millimeter crack uh, in the floor, in, in the wooden floor, in the planks. And I thought, for fuck's sake, this part went down this little hole. And I'm not going to make another part. I'm going to find it. So I just uh, pulled up the floor completely, ripped it up, uh, carefully, because I had to assemble it afterwards. Yeah. And uh, it wasn't there. I vacuumed uh, the polish room four times. I went through uh, the basket with a magnet. I put it in the zinc. I sifted through. I put it through sieves. Are the cats allowed in the workshop? They're not. They're not. But eventually, <laughs> after four hours, I looked inside quite almost half a meter up. There was a little part tray with, with assorted screws. A meter up? No, half a meter up. Oh, in, in, on one of uh, one of the uh, uh, in the, in the cupboard, and it was an open tray uh, with with small screws in it, but like a thousand screws. And um, I thought, what what are the chances? And I went through it, and four hours later, I found my part. It took me two hours to make it, mm. four hours to find it. It's a good thing. A split you second in luck. to lose it. No, I believe in luck. I mm. could have made two parts. Mm. In in that, so so when it comes to mistakes, uh, you know that little part is quite 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 important for the functioning of this watch. And uh, if you lose it by mistake, it's always a mistake. You've got to find it. Mm. You go on your hands and knees. You don't pray because it's um, futile. Mm. You look for it. Mm. Have you ever broken someone's watch? I've broken a part inside somebody's watch. Yes, and then mm-hmm. then you've got to make a new part, or you have to find a new part. Mm. Uh, I had an interesting case um, yesterday. Omega made in uh, under license from Bulova in the 60s. They made a electronic watch called a tuning fork watch. This is the Accutron. Bulova, Bulova made the Accutron, mm. yeah. And uh, Omega, uh, this was before quartz watches, mechanical mm. watches, and then this new technology came out by Bulova. This is the F- F-300? F-300. Uh, yes. yes, I still F-300. got it, baby. <laughs> yeah, <there you> go. <laughs> I still got it. And they made this watch under license by Bulova, and, and the movements have been out of commission for 50 years. Mm. You don't get space for it. And uh, two, years la- uh, two years ago, a friend of mine, um, his friend had one of these watches and he wanted it fixed. And it needs or it needed a part that I couldn't find. And you know, during load shedding, uh, a few hours to work on watches, you have to work around uh, ESCOM. And I decided, well, I'm going to stuff everything else. I need more time to work on 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 the proper jobs. I'm going to look through my problem drawer where all the problem watches are that mm-hmm. been waiting for space and, mm-hmm. and and the difficult ones. And I found this watch and I and I stripped it. And I thought, you know, this guy's been waiting two years for this watch to be fixed. I, t- I told him uh, the only thing I can do is buy another one, a vintage piece, mm. strip it and get a spare part for it. And, and a, a watch like that would be second hand, maybe five, six thousand rand to buy it. And he's not going to pay that for the repair. So it's going to be st- stupid to spend that money on, on, on a donor watch. So yesterday I decided I'm going to strip one of mine. And I took out this little part that he needed. And I fixed this watch and I called him up today and he said, listen, two years later, um, mm. it's done. Mm. And it's 50 years old and it's humming along and it's fixed. Mm. But 
No, no I've, got to, no, I've got to find a spare part for mine. In, back in commission. Yeah, yeah, yeah. No, in the case like that, you try and help somebody. I mean, this was the last ditch effort of mine to try and fix this watch for him. Mm. I had the watch, a spare, one of mine, perfectly working, but I had to get that one spare part that's unobtainable. Mm. And uh, I said, fuck it, I'm going to fix his watch and get it off to him. And he's happy. What's the grail? Yeah, what's your, what's the holy what's grail? Your, or like your favorite? My grail is my birth year, and my birth year is a 1972 Rolex Submariner 5513 original, and um, it's got, it's a 1972 serial, so it's my birth year, and its bracelet was manufactured in April of 1971. Uh, 19, April of 1971. So it's stamped 471, 471. So do you mm. have this? So that's my. Grail, it was my grail and until I got it, obviously, so now it's just my prize piece. But I was born in January of 72 and I was conceived in April of 1971. It's getting very granular now. So <laughs> but that's, that's, that's how it goes. So, so the actual watch, my birth year is a 72. How do you know the money? Did you do the calculation? Because No, 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 it's just obvious. It's stamped on the clasp. I, I, I mean, you've got to be blind to miss it. I, but no, no, but your month of conception, I remember. No, no it's easy. It's, it's supposed to be months. nine months. Yeah, come on. Yes, no, 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 but here's and the thing. And nine months uh, Look, prior to January was April, and April is the best time in Cape Town. It's well, the best month in Cape Town. It's the I remember. I would agree with that. We, yeah, yeah. we would sit. We would sit in this watch shop, and it, it's it's a very quiet environment. It's not a high. Traffic. It's not a pick and pay. It's not, it's it's not, not a pick and pay. So, it pick would, and pay is the grocery store here. Lot, by the yes, way. Yes, lots yes. of lots of time spent talking absolute nonsense, and I remember the conversation going one day into. Have you ever done the calculation of your birthday and you dialed it back nine months? I definitely have. Have you? And did it? Did you it's come to It's my parents' honeymoon. Yeah. It was my there we go. parents' yeah. honeymoon. Mm. Dad's birthday. Oh, <laughs> almost Yo, to the. He dot. was oh. getting it. Oh, it was, yeah. It was. It was the. Uh, yeah, and, like and, it was, and you're an only child. So no, no, that no, must have no, been a big no, day for no, no, He's I just like, a, thank no, God, I have a brother. <laughs> so one and only time. Not an only child. Not an oh, only not? child. No, oh, I have a brother. Okay, so dad got lucky twice. But um, yeah. this was these were Is the kind of, these were the conversations <laughs> you birthday. have in yeah, the yeah. in the in the quiet air conditioned um, <laughs> yeah, no, no, we, luxurious yeah, yeah, that, environment. That, yeah, that like, was that was that was a moment, and it was and it was a shocking uh, realization for me, one that I've big yet moment to, for you. Uh, rec- reconcile with so my, so with my on, parents. on on your dad's birthday these days you. Uh, you give yourself as a gift. <laughs> Dad, here I am. I'm present. It's yeah, a yeah, present. Yeah. The yeah, gift yeah. that keeps, keeps on, on giving. giving. Gift that keeps on as giving. As your dad drinks down another whiskey. My, no, <laughs> Looking at you. No, no, he just stares <laughs> off into the distance. <laughs> no drink. No drink so, needed. Anyway, Peter, you've been a watchmaker, obviously, for a very long time. There have been obviously some pitfalls and failures within that, and just to bring it back into no, no, that too sort many, of failure, too many to to, to recount. Yeah. Maybe you could like regale us with like a little bit of like you know, some of those twists and turns. Like, I mean, you obviously started with like working with your dad's watches, and then what kind of happened after that, and what kind of like made you you worked at a business, and then you're now on your own, like. Yeah, no, now yeah, you're a, a, solo, no, no, no. A, a solo operator. It's a solitary uh, profession. This it's yeah, not a yeah. team sport. No, 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 it's definitely not. It's not. No, it's not a spectator sport. Uh, but but just to 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 recap, it started when I was five. I love watches, and when I 
when I decided to become a watchmaker and I worked for Billy in his workshop, you could only do this after hours. And we worked obviously in retail, so um, close up at six or seven o'clock and then you go off, eat something, and you go to his workshop and you, and you work there till, I think Barney Simon was still at 5FM. I would listen to his, his uh, station or his, his clip uh, like one and two in the morning. But uh, this, well, this middle-aged listeners here. Yeah, no, no, no. But this, yeah, Bonnie Simon. <laughs> but this, this, this I did for many, many years. Uh, Hi, Dad. Every, yeah, every, yeah, yeah, yeah. Every, every second day or every, uh, or every day, every second day, I would go work um, in the evenings after after my proper job. And um, but I had a, always a fear of spiders, a, a user of acnophobe. Massive. Really? No, massive. Uh, I mean, sharks. I I stopped diving made a deal with the sharks. And spiders, I haven't made a deal with yet, so I decided to keep them out. But I had this, uh, I used to collect spiders when I was little, so something happened in my cycle. Oh, okay. But I'm yeah. a huge, huge ratophobe. And I remember one evening it was raining, Billy uh, wasn't at home, so I had a key to let myself into uh, his workshop and I had to go through a, a side gate. And uh, the lock was on the inside, so I had to reach through sure. the gate and I had to unlock this, Padlock, and um, I can only assume it was a spider as big as a horse jumped on my hand. Uh, I shat myself. Um, I think I woke up in, in a puddle of shit, and then I got in the car and I never went back to his house. That was the end of it for me. Never so, again. Just so like, never my tools, everything left there. I never went back there. It's 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 so deeply ingrained this this fear of spiders for me. Uh, never went back and. And then I, I continued in, on, in, in just normal retail and, and this whole watchmaking passion of mine uh, was put on the back burner. Because of Until, the spider. Because of that spider. Because and then this, when I built this house. sized arachnid. <laughs> and when I built this house, I, um, I built it so that it's completely spider-proof. The, the fireplaces <laughs> flew. The fireplaces flew, has got stainless steel uh, fine mesh grid on top. My windows at open have got special grids to keep spiders out. Um, and of course, five cats. Um, I used to oh, shoot. Yeah, I mean, no, I, before I had cats, I used to shoot. Uh, I used to um, use my, my Vindbergs. And I would. Vindbergs is an air rifle, air rifle, daisy yeah, gun. My, you my, yeah, they used to shoot air rats. <laughs> yeah, no, yeah, yeah, yeah. Air gun. <laughs> and my ceilings are five meters. Uh, at, at the very top, and the spiders used to sit there. And I used to, uh, I dialed in this uh, Vintbox of mine five meter range, and I used to practice getting it spot on. And if a spider, I've got these uh, styrofoam ceilings, this, this heat insulated shit. Yeah. And the spider would sit there, and I would just shoot it, um, I would just cleave it one shot, shoot it straight down just the Just sit middle. on your couch and lean back? I would just lean back and shoot it because I can't even sit on my couch if there's a spider uh, uh, sitting on the ceiling. I, I, I freak out. I call people to come and take care of this shit until Serious? I got this, BB, this, this air gun and I would shoot these spiders and, and one evening in my room, in my bedroom, there was a spider sitting um, in the corners and um, I woke up and I saw this thing and I cocked myself and I got up and I didn't want to walk underneath where the spider was sitting. So I kept to the fringes of, of the walls and I finally got my BB gun or my air gun. And you crawled uh, to it. And, you yeah, know, yeah, the no, whole thing. It. Put on camo and uh, <laughs> face paint and camo myself. A jilly suit, like, you know. Made a coffee, woke up, uh, and then I leaned against the door uh, frame when I was slightly awake. And I, and I remember I was just aiming at this thing and I, one shot, 
split it in two, <laughs> and that was it. And then, of course, I vacuumed the fuckers up. And yep. then I got five cats, and now it's the question of you find them lying in the bath, uh, just a body and eight legs going, where am I? Now, if I can describe Peter, so, like, so he's a, is, a stout Afrikaans man who's like, you know, yeah, Paul, like, see, like, rides a Harley Davidson, no, no, stronger, stronger than I am by no, no, no. far. Like, Paul, so. And don't forget Paul German, so I'm full of shit as well. <laughs> <laughs> I don't know, how do we get back to watchmaking? No, no, that's, <laughs> no, that's no, the that, whole point. One, this is rerouting. One spider, that's rerouting. Re, re, re that one spider uh, canned it for me for many, many years uh, before I got back into it. Okay. One How, spider. Like, so, what did okay. you do in that in between time? No, like, I just I just worked and and I, I took up other uh, passions and and. Uh, and then, like, you just decided, just, like, yo, I got to go back into this, or like, how yeah, did that? Yeah, yeah. Like, I, think, I think after I built a house and, and the whole thing worked out, that the spiders, I could sort out the spiders. I wasn't too. After uh, you learned to trust on your air rifle yeah, and your on, reflexes. On, on my <laughs> reflexes, yes, definitely, and the tools at hand. Sure, I could yes. I could take this on again. Okay. And and the funny thing is now in the workshop there's no, nothing for them to eat for 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 ants. Mm. There's no food. They don't eat. It anything. is pristine. It is a pristine it's workshop. Clean. It's, it's clean. very clean. And, uh, prof- you know. yeah. It's so clean. I wasn't actually allowed inside. Yeah, but <laughs> and, and yeah, but, but it's clean. So there's no food for anything. So there's no living creature in there. But I was working under the microscope on mm. on a part where you would go up to uh, fifty times mag. And you're working on this very small part, you're filing away, you're tuning it, you're working on it, you're fitting it, and all done under the microscope. And the next moment, this ant came into view. And <laughs> under the I, microscope? I, yeah, again, I cut myself. Because that's the last <laughs> thing. It's like, honey, I yeah. shot the kids. Yeah, yeah. yeah. yeah, yeah just yeah. when you thought you this, were safe. This, no. this, 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 this ant was the size of a dachshund, and it was <laughs> here next to my hand. I, 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 at that moment, I couldn't. I, I lost yeah. it. <laughs> so then, so, so then the business took a bit of a turn for another. Yeah, five no, no. Years. Obviously, I had to, I had to <laughs> indulge in a few uh, stimu- uh, stimulants and uh, went back. <laughs> and I still can't figure what the hell the and was doing there. But anyway, so yeah, that that um, yeah, that's okay. Up. Okay, so spiders. So small crawly things, small, not, crawly my, things. not my jam. Your your greatest failure is like tiny. Uh, arachnids. <laughs> uh, yeah, and and the bigger ones, obviously, for for sheer size. Um, uh, I'm not a fan of of any of these eight legged creatures. Oh mm. my god, that's amazing! Jesus. Yeah. yeah. So I'm afraid of sharks. Used to be. Uh, I don't uh, scuba dive anymore. Uh, I had an encounter with a great white uh, many 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 years ago at, at um, on the Transvaaler, uh, Smithwinkle mm. Bay. Oh, okay. And I stopped diving after that. So there were some choices in life you. You come to a point you have to decide: mm. uh, am I am I going to accept this? I'm going to overcome this fear, or in my case, I I, I said, "Fuck it." I'm Is not. it the predictability of mechanism that brings you back to it? You know, there's the no calm, creepy the, crawling. Yeah, yeah, no, 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 no. You, you'll be you'll be you'll be very surprised. Uh, somebody meditative, sent, right? Somebody, a, yeah, yeah. But somebody sent me a watch one day, and I opened it up. It was very old, very beat up. Mm. Didn't have a crown. So there was an opening in the case in its armor, a chink in its armor, and when I opened it up, it crawled with these. It wasn't spiders, mites. What do you call these? Like just, oh, yeah, dear. mites. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. Like, yeah, they no. were inside this watch. 
that must have made you yeah yeah it was unsettling yeah i yeah. can imagine I've, so I'm, yeah 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 i've got now they can got hide a weak in stomach. your most precious possessions yes. <laughs> yeah, yeah 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 exactly so i, I don't have a weak stomach but, was that but was that please. an rur did you send it right back or did uh, you throw it into no no the no it, it went into uh, a chemical bath uh, straight away <laughs> okay. and i think i i i ultrasonic ultrasonic those mites right yeah. back no, no, into no, the yeah, next I, dimension i left it there for um, a good good couple of days Mm. I I couldn't deal with it. So uh, on on the general uh, when when you when you service or restore one of these old watches where they somebody's grail they they highly collectible they highly prized um you don't expect to find these things in there and luckily so far not. It's only these dodgy pieces you get that uh, that somebody yeah. digs out of their granny's uh, drawer and <laughs> um Nine out of ten, they clean, but then you get one one like this that that really uh, messes with your um, mind. Messes with your mind. That's a uh, that's that's <sighs> it's, I can <laughs> imagine I'm spiders glad. crawling out of your watch. No, no, like, no, like yeah, no, no. It's 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 a stuff of movies. It's it's <laughs> not it's not it's not my reality. No. It's not uh, anyway. Coming back to to that Grail watch question of mine. Yes, this, yes. This, so, but but this is an interesting bracelet, thing to me. Like, you yeah, know, but the bracelet is stamped four seventy one. Yeah, my inception. My uh, when I was made when, the month of my inception, <laughs> and the watch is of January nineteen seventy two, my birth year. Yeah, I mean, what better could you ask for? Okay, I love it. I Why is great. it not? But, but I mean, there's an extraordinary like world of unbelievable, complicated watches, you know, of all sorts of different varieties, and yet that's the that's where you feel like you 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 want to be is is this. It's it's more the narrative than the than the than the than yeah. the than the artistry of it. Is that where it, is that yeah, where you well, end up? The, 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 for me, the artistry and preserving it, the mm. art uh, of watchmaking, uh, is not to say that I'm going to manufacture my my, my own watch. Uh, that's a bit more uh, encompassing. But to to take something that's 50 years old and to put it back in working condition for somebody and to continue that legacy that and the story behind it that for mm. me it's just to preserve it and to give it back to a client in a better condition yes but also to preserve it in the sense that you don't strip away any story any any value of it you give mm. it back in a better mm. condition and you maintain its value and yeah of course it's a thing of beauty i mm. mean not everybody gets to see what it looks like inside totally it, it really mm. is a miniature marvel what mm. do you what do you consider yourself how would you describe like what you do in that sense? Like it's there's an element of historian to it. Yeah, like are you yeah, a restorationist? Yeah, yeah. Like you're yeah, an artisan? Right. Like you're you're definitely a, a horologist, a est. All right, um, horologist. A f a, a, yes. That's that's basically watchmaking. That's, that's what a watchmaker is called. Uh, in Afrikaans, it's called a horoloog. And, and for years, it sounds I, like someone who no, studies urethras. No, 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 no. In <laughs> fact, in fact, for years, I had to uh, explain myself when I said I was a horologist of horoloog, and I had to say that I'm not. Ik niet kenner van straatvrouwensie. A horoloog. Horologist. It's a bit of a tongue twister, so you can edit that out. And an horologist. I don't know why they made it so difficult. Why why I love it? Why horology? 
Peter, if someone were to seek your services as horologist, as where will they find you? How do we find uh, you, Peter? Who do you can? Who, what's the nearest brothel? Who's the they person? Find I don't know. Who's the, the person? Dark I think <laughs> Yeah. No, we've now, you know, we, we, I'm, how do I'm not we, in the phone book. Uh, I try and uh, I try not to be uh, all over the place. I I, I prefer um, word of mouth marketing. Mm -hmm. uh, clients of mine that would happily refer you. But who's the person? If who's the person who comes to you? Like, if there's someone out there listening to this here, who has something they want to something preserve, special, something special. Who is the person who, who who's your clientele? Who, who comes to you? Well, it's anybody who wants um, something uh, dear to them fixed. Uh, mm. Maybe that's something uh, that somebody else couldn't. Mm. And uh, because I will definitely uh, give it my best go. Uh, but you must remember there are hundreds of different movement manufacturers from, from the turn of the century, last century. Mm. And... Uh, and pocket watches that are 100 or 100 plus years old. You try and fix it, you do your best to fix it. You can't get, always get space for these things. So it's, it's, a, it's a timely process. It's not something that uh, doesn't have a short turnaround time. So it, it can become projects. Mm -hmm. I've got many projects. But it's usually the difficult watches that, that I get. I don't know mm -hmm. why. Is, mm -hmm. is there something written on my forehead? <laughs> but I get these difficult, uh, not clients, they're the happiest people. But I get the difficult watches. Mm. I just had one that the AD didn't want to fix. Mm. Really? Or couldn't or didn't want to. But I've got the watch and I had to fix it. Mm. So if you have a special project, if you have a timepiece sitting in your closet and no one else to turn to, there's one man. It's uh, Peter Best. The <laughs> Hurulur. Do you yes. have one that you it's, can just like... I operate... Uh, I don't operate out of... Um, the harbor anymore uh, that's that's <laughs> that's in my that's past. for the real horologist yeah. <laughs> does that make sense i'm yari salman this has been rerouted perfect see you next week guys thank you thank you peter cheers <laughs>